Hey, good morning. Thanks for being here today. Uh, we are very excited. We have a great day ahead of us here. Uh, thank you to Steve and the band for playing songs and leading us in liturgy. We also have a baptism later today. We'll be baptizing Leah Gockley. So uh, that's very, very exciting. So we have something to look forward to here. But if we look back in the past week, we had Trunk or Treat last Sunday. A quick raise of hands. Who is here for Trunk or Treat, either volunteering or attending? Yeah, all right. It was a good time. I think we have some pictures up here. They'll just kind of roll through some of those. We see some pictures. We had about, we had over 400 people come out to that event. 400 people. 400 people who the devil in every possible way would prefer them not to be welcomed in the gospel and never to meet any Christians. And we had 400 people come. Some of those people, what came to our Easter egg hunt this past Easter, they came back for this. And some people are brand new. Some people just moved to the neighborhood and wanted to come to the event. So I'm going to just say a quick few thank yous. First, thank you to all of you. The event cost about $3,500 for us to pull off. So thank you to those of you who are sacrificially giving to this church. Your money matters. It goes places not just to feed my children, which does matter too, but to also show the love the gospel to other, to other people in our neighborhood. I just want to thank Sir Lynn real quick for taking these pictures. But Brett, if you see him in the rollerblades right there, uh, Brett was uh, in charge of the event. So I just want to thank Brett, too. He really pulled off. And if you saw him, yeah, we can give him a round of applause. He's not here today, but we will clap for him anyway. But he was, if you saw him at the event, he's skating around on roller skates, dropping off more boxes of candy, dropping off hot dogs, dropping off sodas to different trunks, and also was doing his own trunk, which is pretty cool, too. So... With that being said, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 17, oh, sorry, 16 to 26 today. And that's on page 975 in the Pew Bibles, 975. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles out on the info table for you. We'd love to give you. Um, but if you need a Bible that's in the pew, it's page 975. You can use that here and then pick up a Bible on, on your way out. This week, I felt tension, a war of desires between being a good dad and feeding my idol of work. Our youngest was home with a cold for a few days, and I felt a tension between being a father and getting my work done. Now, contrary, contrary to popular belief, pastors work more than one day a week. We do have, we have tasks that need to be done, we have visits that need to be made, we have meetings that need to happen, and I, and of course, like, I just don't, roll, I know you guys are like, this guy is so gifted, he must roll in here on Sundays and just go. I don't do that, I spend a lot, a, lot, a large part of the week, probably about like 10, 15 hours a week at least, preparing for the sermon, and now here delivering it to you, but that takes time and preparation too. And as, so as the week went on, and our youngest didn't imp improve as quickly as I would like, despite what the doctor said, I wanted her to improve faster than that. The time I had for work began to shrink. It became just like less and less and less time to work. Work is an idol for me. It's a good thing we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's a good thing that's become a ruling thing in my life. And when I don't feed that ruling thing, when I don't feed my idol, my idol gets hangry. 
which is a fun way of combining the words angry and hungry. Some of your husbands also get hangry when they don't eat. They're hungry and they get angry. No, no one else? Just me? All right, all right, okay, okay, thank you. So I got snippy. I got tense. I got stressed. And then I got anxious, right? I felt it in my body. Some of you struggle with anxiety. You feel it in your body, right? Your body shakes or you feel like you're just keeping your head above water and you're, you can't breathe. And I watched the days getting closer and closer to Sunday, just like mark it off in my calendar. This is getting closer and closer and closer. And I have less and less time. And I wanted to be a good dad. Like I wanted to take care of my sick daughter, but I also wanted to feed my work idol. So I struggled, and I felt this war of desires within me. See, there is a struggle or a war within us between the desires of what Paul calls the flesh and the spirit. But we'll only find freedom, the freedom you and I are looking for if we live by the spirit and not by the flesh. So I want to talk about what it looks like to live by the flesh and what it looks like to live by the Spirit. In Galatians up to this point, Paul has been arguing that Christians do not need to keep the law of Moses to make God happy with them. He says, God is happy with you because of what Jesus has done for you. Not because of anything you've done. Only by what Jesus has done for you on the cross and how he's lived the life you should have lived and he died the death you deserve to die and he rose again from the dead so you can have this freedom, this life everlasting, reconciliation, adoption, justification, all these theological terms, he's using all of them. He's saying that's all yours in Jesus. You don't need to do anything else. And he has to keep going over this because some agitators came into the Galatian church and told them otherwise. And the Galatian Christians bought into what these agitators were saying and not what Paul had said to them. And apparently, one of the arguments that they made was that if you live in the freedom of the gospel that Paul is talking about, if you live that way and you don't keep the law of Moses, you won't be able to resist the flesh. People need rules, people need structure. So Paul was getting rid of all of these rules that God has had for thousands of years in the law of Moses. So how can you fight off the desires of the flesh if you don't have rules? But Paul says in verse 16, But I say, I hear what they're saying, but I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is saying, Jesus has fulfilled the law. You don't need it anymore. Instead, the crucified Jesus frees us in the Spirit to love God and love others. And if we live by the Spirit, you don't need to, you won't do the things of the flesh because you'll, they'll be obvious to you, they'll be evident to you. If you actually are living by the Spirit, you, don't ha you won't live by the flesh. And so Paul continues when he talks about living by the flesh in verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, 
you're not under the law. Our sinful nature creates these destructive desires in us. Now, if you don't have a church background, maybe you do, the words flesh and spirit may be unfamiliar to you. The flesh is a simple way of putting it is our sinful nature. Humans are born with sinful natures. We're not born good. You're not born good. I'm not born good. We are born sinful. So you and I have a natural propensity to distrust God. And that leads you and me to rebel against him and resist what he wants for our lives and for our world. So in Romans 5, Paul talks about this, and he says that in Adam, the first human, we all sinned. Because Adam was your representative. See, in the ancient world, there's no individual identity. It's all communal identity. So your representative, your rep- your, the head of your family, the human family, screwed up. And that all passed down to you. So now everyone, from cute baby Leah, who will baptize today, to me, to you, and to your grandmom, is born in the flesh. Grandmom's great. We love her. But she's a sinner. Just like you. And your kids, they're cute, but they're sinners, just like you. And why would you expect anything else, right? They're your kids. They're going to be sinners. And this sinful nature has certain desires, has certain things that it wants to do. So what Paul talks about in Romans 7, which is not going to be on the screen, he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is In my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul's saying we want to be good, but because of our flesh, because of our sinful nature, we don't have the ability to carry it out. Saying like a train on a track. You'll always go the way of the flesh. Your wheels are locked into the track. And you'll keep following the desires of the flesh. So naturally, you'll desire those things. You'll desire to feed your sinful nature. But then Paul starts talking about the Spirit. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. See, Christians believe that we have three distinct persons but one God. Right? God is three persons in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's mysterious. We don't completely understand it, right? I get the attempts to use analogies or illustrations, but every time you use analogies or illustrations like an egg or water or the the three-leaf clover, that's always going to lead you to heresy. It's mysterious. We don't understand it. But there are things we can say about it. First, we can say that it's not three gods, but one God. And it's also not one God who wears three different hats, right? It's not that sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, and sometimes he's the Holy Spirit, right? Like I might be like 
a son, a father, and a brother. They're three distinct persons, but one God. They're not three gods. They're not one God who is in three different modes. And the Holy Spirit is God. So what Paul is trying to bring in is all this theology that says when you believe in Jesus, you're given the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit, God, lives inside you. And when Jesus promises to his disciples that he's going to send the Holy Spirit after he leaves, right? If you remember the Upper Room Discourse, if you're here when we went through that series, we were in a whole different building, believe it or not, when we went through that series. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit's job, he says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring glory to Jesus. That's his job. And he does it in and through you and me. So when the Holy Spirit is working in my life, and he's working in your life, you bring glory to Jesus. And the desires of the Holy Spirit are just as strong, if not stronger, than the desires of the flesh. The desires of your sinful nature. Desires, when he talks about, Paul talks about the desires of the flesh, it's this Greek word, epithumia. Epithumia literally means, and Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, points this out, means an over-desire. An inordinate desire, an all-controlling drive and longing. So if you have your Bibles, or you can do that thing where you make a note in your, your Bible app, write the word over above desires of the flesh. So Paul is literally saying the over-desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The over-desires of the flesh are against the spirit. So how does that help us understand what Paul is trying to say? Tim Keller keeps commenting about this. He says, the main problem our, the main problem our heart has is not so much desire for bad things, but our over-desires for good things. When a good thing becomes our God, it creates over-desires. And Paul says that sinful desires become deep things that control us and drive us. Sin creates in us the feeling that we must have this or that or the other. It's what Paul Tripp, I talked about Paul, what Paul Tripp says a couple weeks ago, that the good idols are good things that become ruling things in our lives. They're not the bad things we might think about, and they're not wood and stone and silver and gold. They're good things in our lives that we make ruling things in our lives. So for you, it might be work. For you, it might be respect. For you, it might be your kids. For you, it might be control. All these things are good in, in their own ways. But they can become good things that become ruling things. And then there are idols. There are over-desires of the flesh. And so Paul says in verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when you give in, when I give in to these o- the over-desires of my sinful nature, the results, the work of the flesh, Paul says, become pretty obvious. He's saying you don't need the law of Moses to see what the flesh looks like. It's obvious. Divisions, dissensions, strife, jealousy. Do you need the law of Moses to tell you those things are bad? Like you just yourselves. Think about this. Just watch the news and you can tell it's bad. Strife, envy, jealousy, divisions. You know it's bad. You don't need the law of Moses to tell you that. Our sinful nature creates these destructive desires in our lives. We say, I must have this. I must have that. And when these desires take control of our lives, we and our world gets worse. Does our world legitimately, does our world need more division? Does our world need more strife? Does it need more envy? Does it really need more drunkenness? Does it? No. These are things that our flesh, our sinful nature, these are over-desires of them, and this is what's happening. These are the results. So the work of the flesh are the results of what happens when you over-desire good things in your life. And so there's four categories. John Tyson is another pastor. He talks about the four categories of of works of the flesh here. He says they're indulgences, sexuality, religion, and relationships. He's saying there's certain things you overindulge in that are works of the flesh. And when we overdesire these things, we indulge in them. So for instance, alcohol, despite what our Baptist brothers and sisters think, is a good thing from God. We serve it to you every Sunday in communion. It's a good thing from God. Jesus shows up to the party in John chapter 2. And he doesn't create grape juice. He turns water into wine. Alcohol is a good thing. Right? It would be like if you showed up to a party and you brought a case of water. And like, I thought you were going to bring drinks. You're like, yeah, I did. Don't worry. But if you over-desire alcohol, it will drive you into drunkenness. And you'll fall into addiction or substance abuse. And you'll destroy yourself or your family. This is some of your experiences where drunkenness has destroyed your families. Or friendships where you can't hold down a job because you're always showing up to work hungover or drunk. But what about sexuality? Despite what Christians have maybe have said over the years, sex is a good gift from God. But if you over-desire it, you say, I must have this kind of relationship or that person, you'll fall into what Paul calls sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And it dishonors God's intention for sex. Because Paul says you're going to fall into that. Or if you really over-desire it, 
You'll hook up with whoever or whatever will give you sexual fulfillment, despite what it costs you. You'll run the pornography because it seems easy and simple and it will give you fulfillment. It doesn't matter what it does to your marriage. It doesn't matter what it does to your heart. Or you'll use others to get fulfillment. Or be used by others. And worse, you could abuse others or be abused when sex is over-desired. Or what about religion? Paul uses the word sorcery, right? This isn't like witches and wizards, right? It's not like, oh, I guess we're not going to have trunk or treat next year. What happened in the ancient days, typically this sorcery would involve drugging oneself in an attempt to manipulate a god. So you can over-desire a relationship with God that becomes manipulative on your end. So what about theology? Some must believe that if, if I believe all the right stuff down to the nitty-gritty, God will be happy with me. And it's my job. Because God can't defend himself, so I got to defend God. So it's my job to make sure everyone else believes every minor detail that I believe. And so then what we do is we elevate the minor things and we, un we underemphasize the major things. So end times becomes this major thing when it's a minor thing. We just say, Jesus is coming back. That's all I got for you. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't always lay out all the details. Jesus himself even says, I'm not exactly sure when this is going to happen. But you know. So what happens is I can know a lot about God on paper, but not know God in any real way. And then I end up hurting others because I'm always picking theological fights with people. Or what about relationships? See, truth or being in the right is a good thing. It's good to believe the truth. It's good to be right. But if you over-desire it, you'll fall into fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And you'll break relationships and you'll break hearts in the process over trivial, unimportant matters. So, for instance, politics are a good thing. We need government. Paul says in Romans 13 that actually government is a gift from God. But if you over-desire politics, and I'm about to step on some, some, maybe some landmines for you. But if you over-desire politics, you end up with where we are right now. Where politics is the religion of our land. Don't think it's not. And everyone's at a boiling point, And people live in constant suspicion about what the other party is doing. And then we have a country where 52% of Trump voters and 41% of Biden, Biden voters support breaking up the country. You don't think that's an over-desire of politics? Where now we can't live with each other? We can't be the United States of America And what, like, what's going to happen? Like, honestly, like, let's think if we break up the country. You're going to go there 
And because you're a sinner, it's going to be messed up there too. Or we're in a place we are now where one in ten Americans have ended relationships over politics. Ten percent of people. And millennials, I love y'all, and that's, I'm one of you. But more than one-fifth of millennials have ended a romantic relationship because of it. Like, I thank God that Amanda was not one of the one in five. Because Evan's politics have gone like this. Is that the world you want? Whereas the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus, when we live a life in the flesh, we seek to bring glory to who? Me. You seek to bring glory to you. And every one of the works of the flesh comes from an over-desire to make things about you. Substance abuse, it's all about you. You don't care what it does to anybody else. It's all about you. Seeking out relationships to get sex out of it, it's all about you. You don't care what it does to the other person. You don't care what that's going to do for your marriage if you seek sex someplace else. You don't care. It's all about you. Manipulating God with theological rightness, it's all about you. You don't care that you're breaking people's hearts and hurting them in the process. You don't care. It's about you. I got to be right. Or breaking off relationships or dividing the country over politics, it's all about you. That's what it's about, you. See, your heart is selfish and mine is too. And there'll never be healing for our world when it's all about you. Because you know why? Because I make it all about me. And somebody's got to win. And frankly, you'll never heal yourself either. Your destructive over-desires will take over and you and our world will just get worse because nothing stands in the way of your sinful nature taking over your life unless, unless your heart has changed. Unless you're given the power to fight and to win over your sinful nature. Unless something inside of you with its desires is willing to go to war with your over-desires. And the name for that thing and that person is the Spirit. So look what Paul says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, where I take the works of the flesh, look at the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to ask yourself as I read this list, which one do you want our world to be marked by? Which one do you want to be marked by? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, the Holy Spirit creates new desires in us that bring us freedom and make us and our world better in the process. I remember this guy one time running for class president, and he was the worst. Like, legitimately, was the worst. Couldn't stand the guy. But the problem was is that he ran unopposed. So I didn't want him to represent me, but, like, what other choice did I have? Like, it's either this guy 
or I write in Bart Simpson. And I don't think Bart Simpson's going to get enough votes to beat out this guy. So it's kind of like that, right? Our sinful nature has been running unopposed. But once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, someone else's name is on the ballot. So even if I know my sinful nature is destructive, what other choices do I have? I'm going to keep falling into sin time and time again, and I'm going to over-desire good things which lead to destructive things in my life. But that changes. Once I put my faith in Jesus, I'm given the Holy Spirit to fight my sinful nature. So now there's this war of desires going on inside of me. There was no war, but now there is. The struggle, the fight, the temptation, the tension you feel within you is, a, is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you. There was no war. Now there is. And I have the power of God in me. So I have more than a fighting chance when I have God in me, don't I? And yes, it will be a struggle, but you'll grow in the struggle. And you might not see it right away, but like a, like a tree whose roots are breaking through the sidewalk. The Holy Spirit is working under the surface and eventually it will come out. So you might not see yourself now or joyful now or a gentle person right now, but you can see yourself getting better. Getting better at those things. Like I lost my cool on Friday when normally I would have lost it on Tuesday. <laughs> if you don't think that's the Holy Spirit's work, I don't know what to tell you. Because the Holy Spirit's working under the surface in you. And notice that the fruit grows together. It's fruit, singular, not fruits. So Tim Keller says, you do not get one part of the fruit of the Spirit growing without all the other parts growing. All those things you should see growing in your life. And maybe they're, they're like this graph, right? Maybe one is growing faster than the other, but the, all of them are coming together because they're all connected. They're all like on a chain together. They're moving together. So one goes up, the rest of the chain pulls up too. See, there are plenty of people who are faithful in going to church, but never gentle online. There are plenty of people who are joyful and bubbly as a coping mechanism, but they really live without peace. And there are plenty of people who are kind, but they lack integrity, which is what goodness means. And honestly, I mean, it's your experience with Christians. There's been a lot of so-called Christians who are like that. Man, do they go to church every Sunday? Well, you say one thing online, they're coming at your throat. So my best move at this point has just been like posting Bible verses. You know, you know, so I just haven't always posted Bible verses because I don't know what else I got for you guys. Otherwise, something comes at my throat. Last year of the pandemic, I was called a false prophet. Sorry, guys. Those of you who have been around for a while, you've been following me, I'm sorry. Apparently, I'm a false prophet. There's plenty of people who go to church every Sunday who are not gentle, are not loving, are not kind. But the person who's been saved by Jesus, truly saved by Jesus, and who are having their hearts re renewed by the Holy Spirit will see all these things working and growing in their lives. Maybe slowly, but growing nonetheless. So 
So Galatians 5, 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You belong to Jesus. And because you belong to Jesus, you've crucified your sinful nature. It's a beast, but it's a wounded beast. And it's destructive over desires. And you become a new person. That's what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. You become a new creation. There was a pastor who tweeted this week, who I, would, I don't want to mention his name because you know who he is, who says when you become a Christian, you don't become a new person. You become who God has always wanted you to be, who um, God has made you to be in the first place. But that's not true. You become a new creation. A new part of a new humanity. You were powerless to change yourself, but then Jesus came to rescue you. And when you put your faith in him, you're given the Holy Spirit and it becomes less and less about you and more and more of the Holy Spirit doing his job and making it about Jesus by you becoming more like Jesus. So you might have a sinful nature, but you can change. There is a split in the tracks coming up. You can choose to go that route and go to freedom from your over-desires instead of one that leads to destruction. So imagine with me, imagine giving up that addiction. Imagine falling into sin less and less. Imagine not being set off in a fit of anger whenever the mayor does something that you disagree with or the president does something you disagree with. Or imagine not going, like if you live in Northeast Philly, imagine not being set off in a fit of anger, when people are shooting fireworks off at 2 a.m. in the middle of November. I don't know why they do I guess like, it's like, hey, today is November 7th. Let's just shoot off some fireworks. Not that I'm holding a grudge against anybody. But instead, you start respond, responding with kindness and gentleness, even when, listen, even when you don't feel like it. And it's not false gentleness. It's not false kindness. It's actually something that's in you. It's coming out of you. Or imagine not running online or into a relationship for sexual fulfillment. But being patient with your sexuality until it comes to time where you can honor God by having sex with your spouse. Or until God makes you content with your current, your current status. Or what about finding joy in going to school on Monday? Kids, right? Imagine finding joy on Monday when you wake up, you're excited to go. Bet your teachers would treat you differently, they'd be happier. Or having peace when you don't get an A on your test or your paper. Imagine living a life like that. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, he's growing all of these things in you all at the same time. Don't you see how this would make our world better too? So Galatians 5, 25 to 26, and we'll end here. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You gotta battle. You gotta fight. You have to live by the Spirit. You have to keep in step with the Spirit. There is a war going on inside of you, and you can't become complacent with that. Why do you think one of the fruits is self-control? Because it's not just going to happen. You have to walk in step with the Spirit. You need to pick a side. you got to battle. you got to fight. But if you don't battle, if you never struggle, if you never fight, you probably don't have the Holy Spirit living in you.
And if you do, it's a sign the Holy Spirit is working. See, like cockroaches, if you see one come out from under the fridge, there's probably thousands hidden in your house. You kill the one you see, and you call, you call the exterminator, the Holy Spirit, to eradicate the rest from your heart. If you see one thing of sin start to pop up, it's probably, it's probably a bunch of stuff underneath. So John Owen says, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Fight. Kill your sinful nature. Kill the sins you see. And don't stop there, but ask, why did I do that? Don't, so many people, we just go, oh, okay, I looked at pornography. I'm just not going to do that next time. Ask, why did I look at pornography? Why did I flip out on my kids? Why did I create division online? Why? And my encouragement to you is then ask five more whys on each of those. And you'll really get down in some really dark, scary places. And give those over to the Holy Spirit and say, eradicate this. Climb through the crawl spaces and get rid of all the cockroaches. And then starve your sinful nature. Let it get hangry and then put it to death. See, some of us need to download a filter like Covenant Eyes on our laptops and phones. Some of us need to delete certain apps on our phones. Some of us need to snooze friends on Facebook who keep fighting with you and you keep fighting with them. Whether online or in your heart. Some of us, we don't post anything online, but we just carry it right here the whole time. We're angry at this person. They don't know, but we're fighting with them. Or we post these like things online that are clearly directed at other people. Right? Where do you think like subtweets came from, that language, right? These passive-aggressive tweets that no one knows the context of, but you just tweeted it out there because you're fighting with that person. Some of you need to get an accountability partner. Some of you need to go to AA or NA. Some of you need to stop listening to certain podcasts. I'm telling you right now, some of you need to stop. You need to stop listening to podcasts. You need to stop listening to certain pundits. They will make you angry. They will divide this country. They will create dissension. They will create envy and strife. You know why they do that? Nobody asks why. Because they make money off of you when they get you to act that way. Because you come back. Because you want to feed the sinful desire. Because it gets hangry. And the more you feed it, and then you stop feeding for a second, it wants more and more and more and more. Some of you need to delete those podcasts. Unsubscribe. Some of you need to screenshot the fruit of the Spirit and put it on your phone background. Or recite it every morning like John Stott used to do. He's a Christian scholar who passed away. After you take that first sip of coffee, recite the fruit of the Spirit. Or tape it over the door for when you walk out of your house to be reminded of it. It says, I belong to Jesus. This is who I am now. These are the things that should mark my life. And you have to cultivate the fruit. You have to water it. You have to give it sunlight if you want it to grow. Prayer and reading your Bible, those are great. You should start there, but also you cultivate in other ways. In worship, every time you worship, it reminds you what? That it's not about you. And you show faithfulness by attending church frequently. Some of just need to start there. Some of just need to show up more often. Or in community, 
being patient in prayer for those who need healing. Maybe ask God for healing for years and years and years and never happens, but you're patient with that person and pray for them. Even if you're like, this person's been on my prayer list forever, pray for them again. Or be gentle to those who disagree with you in your home meeting. I guarantee there's people who disagree in politics with you in your home meeting. Guarantee it. Be gentle. Or through mercy, show kindness by taking next Saturday morning and doing a service project. With frankly, Fitzpatrick's not going to really give us anything in return. The ROI on that is probably pretty slim and probably minimal. Or show goodness, integrity with your money by being generous with it. But my encouragement to you is that you will only grow as you battle. The more you kill the sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, the better you'll be at killing sin when it runs out from under the fridge. And the more you'll live in the Spirit, the more fruit you'll see, and the more you'll become like Jesus. And then your life will be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be marked by the Spirit, by the fruit of the Spirit. If you're here today and you never put your faith and trust in Jesus and your life is, and you're convinced that your life is, your wheels are locked in on the track of your sinful nature and you need a change, just reach out to God right now, silently in your seat. Say, God, I, I need you. I'm sorry. I believe in Jesus. And when you do that, God forgives you and gives you the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of us, Father, may we be marked by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Change our lives. And Holy Spirit, work in us to bring glory to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We now come to the part of the service where we confess our sins to God. As we talked about, sin ultimately is, is a distrust in God, or we rebel and resist Him. And so we have to do that. And we do there are ways we do that together, right? Communal identity, and there's ways we do it individually. And so let's say this prayer of confession together. That'll be on the screen, and then we'll, as we move down this road, we'll eventually be taking communion here. But let's pray this prayer together. Almighty God. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker and judge of us all, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and offenses which we have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your righteous anger against us. We are deeply sorry for these our transgressions. The burden of them is more than we can bear. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may evermore serve and please you in the newness of life to the glory, uh, glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.